Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Ben Hurst from the Salvation Army talks to Bruce about serious matters relating to drugs, alcohol, mental illness, and the task of rescuing the homeless in America today. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now, here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue. Welcome to the conversation, ladies and gentlemen, listening to radio tonight on Angels AM 830. I'm Bruce Cook. Boy, we've got a good good program tonight. It's a pretty serious one. Since you've been watching baseball and listening to Peter Deals with restaurants and cooking, we're going to change the uh, tune a little bit and uh, raise the volume. About a year ago, in January of last year, 2022, a young woman named Brianna Kupfer was working in a furniture store on La Brea Avenue in the Hancock Park adjacent district of Los Angeles, a pretty pretty tony neighborhood, pretty safe area pretty much, and, and uh, she was by herself in the store. In walks a homeless man. He proceeded to stab her 20 times in the store. She died. He ran. This week, that man, whose name is Sean Laval, 31 years old, homeless, suffering severely from mental problems, is up for trial. He is claiming not guilty. Ladies and gentlemen, homelessness in America, homelessness, homelessness specifically in Southern California, is unchecked, out of control, and it has so many aspects to it. Tonight, we're going to talk about those aspects. We're going to find out if there are solutions. There are many people that feel there are no solutions, that it is so far gone and so uncontrollable and so scary because crime, mental illness, drug addiction, yeah. It's it's just so frustrating. I, but we're gonna we're gonna work on that tonight. We're gonna see what we can find out. Joining me is a man named Ben Hurst. Ben is the managing director for the Center of Applied Research and Innovation with Salvation Army. He has overseen the completion of a twenty a two hundred and twenty four bed Anaheim emergency homeless shelter. Uh, in a local record of 79 days. This is off of his resume. The Salvation Army's $200 million comprehensive homeless care campus known as the Center of Hope is the first in the world for Salvation Army Center for Applied Research and Innovation. There's a system we're going to talk about tonight called Homeless Through Putt System. It's just something that is happening that perhaps is giving a solution to the problem. Are you scared of people on the street? Are you scared of the homelessness? You should be. They are suffering horribly, and the answers are hard to come by. 
I'm gonna, before I introduce you, Ben, I want to bring up one more subject that we're going to talk about. We all know that drugs are involved, alcohol is involved, loss of home, loss of job, loss of hope, center of hope, ladies and gentlemen. Loss, all those things are involved. But you know what else is involved? And it doesn't get talked about as much. We're going to talk about it tonight on the, on the program. Race is involved. And we're going to talk about that just as soon as I bring Ben Hurst on the show. Ben, join me. Bruce, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on your program. Uh, it's been a joy to get to know you, Bruce, and uh, your illustrious career in the media industry and uh, the many luminary figures you've had a chance to know very well. Uh, I'll, I'll be just a small footnote in that uh, list, but uh, it's Don't such a be modest. It's such a distinguished Don't list, be Bruce. Modest, ben Hurst. <laughs> Even a footnote is a ladies and gentlemen. This, this man has passion and dedication. He is presently studying for his PhD in social work with a specific uh, angle on solving the homeless crisis at USC. Ladies and gentlemen, he he is a man of credentials, also. So we've patted each other on the back. <laughs> And we're going to move on. And I'm starting the show with the worst, toughest question Well, you, you waited right in, didn't you? Yes, I like that. The worst, toughest like question. That. And I'll tell you why. In advance of bringing you on today, yes. I did some more research. And, of course, I found shocking statistics that I wasn't aware of. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Listen to this. And this is why I wanted to begin with the question of race. According to uh, 20,000... 20,000, 2022 statistics and research done. Homelessness, homelessness in, I can't talk today, Ben. You've really got me scared. But homelessness in America, <laughs> homelessness in America is predominantly white and black. In the white world, in the Caucasian world, which, according to these statistics, makes up 70 seven percent of the u.s population some 48 percent of homeless come from white society in the black african-american population of america which accounts for 13 percent of the overall population in this country 40 percent of the homeless are african-american that gets broken down further. It gets broken down into multiracial people. It gets broken down into men versus women. But the bottom line is the African-American population really represents a majority of homelessness based on the population statistics of this country. Number-wise, according to this 2022 statistic, there are 291,395, now I wonder who counted all of these people, but there are 291,395 Caucasian Americans who are homeless on the streets of our country. And guess what? Even though the black population is only 13% of the total, there are 217,366 African American people who are homeless. Talk to me, Ben Hurst. Well, first of all, I agree with your hot take at the top of the show here. Uh, there is systemic racism. 
in the homeless crisis in America today. It's particularly acute in the greater Los Angeles area. Um, a lot of that has to do with economic policies of the early mid 20th century uh, redlining uh, that limited uh, housing uh, loans for black neighborhoods uh, that kept them from uh, accumulating multi-generational wealth uh, like uh, some uh, white families are able to do so yes it is a disproportionate problem there is no doubt uh, in Los Angeles County alone uh, the black population is a uh, 7.9% but they are 40% of the homeless uh, uh, population so you're spot on in uh, in in directing our attention that uh, that right away absolutely given those facts though and given the economic uh, inequity, I don't see how it's possible without some really drastic changes. And thinking about this a lot since meeting you the other day, what about drastic things like allowing developers in urban cities and urban centers such as Los Angeles who own these buildings that the city is working with to try and place homeless into these buildings and a lot of them don't want to be there. We're going to talk about that later. Yes. What about some kind of a major tax break for people who are willing to roll up their sleeves that have the wherewithal, the money, the property to really find housing for people in conjunction with programs such as you're going to explain that the, the Salvation Army is doing that are multi-step programs to provide counseling job counseling, drug and alcohol addiction services, family relationship services, getting back on your feet services, all of these things that are necessary to really turn lives around. But here's the kicker. In Los Angeles or in a major city where these problems are exacerbated, exacerbated once a person has regained self-confidence, has regained and overcome issues and problems there's no economic base for them in los angeles even in a healthy situation they can't earn a living and live in los angeles they can't do it it's not possible so what do they do can they leave and go to another place where they can find a job that pays them enough to pay for their own living expenses talk to me ben hurst well, I, I think you're uh, dancing conversationally around the crux of the issue. Uh, I am asked out in the field a lot about uh, can we offer uh, and incentivize uh, mass relocation into more affordable areas of the United States? Uh, I, I am asked actually uh, a lot. Should we just go out to Joshua Tree, uh, take uh, 10,000 acres and uh, develop a massive uh, affordable housing uh, industrial complex for the homeless? Uh, Except then you must hear the screaming voices of those people that say people abuse. That's unhumanitarian. You can't force people to move to Joshua Tree and live with a cactus. It's not fair. What do you say? Plus the fact you know what? Joshua Tree ain't bad. I wouldn't mind living in Joshua Tree. But no, serious. getting back to seriousness, obviously that's never going to happen. But here's what I'm thinking. In decades past, before, before all of these changes that our society has, has done to create the problem, people that were 
coming from the bottom that had nothing that were struggling they went where they could figure it out yes it's true they went where they could figure it out Yes, economic migration has been a rich part of our uh, national story. And in fact, it's happening today. That's why uh, my family uh, originated in the Ohio, uh, classically called Rust Belt area. And a lot of the adult children dispersed to the Sun Belt states, uh, pursuing uh, where the economic edge of opportunity is. So you're absolutely right in that regard. That's uh, nothing new. Uh, I, I think... I think um, Homeless advocates uh, like to point out that uh, when you're homeless on the streets, your relational community is is perhaps the last thing you've got. And in a surprising turn of events, Bruce, the homeless community is actually very inter- interconnected with each other. There is a uh, dynamic community on the streets. So one of the first concerns we have when we're addressing enterprise-level solutions to homelessness is uh, we don't have a desire or don't want to certainly uh, break up what relational core support they do have. So so when I say, you know, can you offer, can you incentivize uh, geographical relocation? I think that is an answer, and that's something uh, uh, we've explored on a, on a broad scale. For people who have family, perhaps, uh, in another part of the country that could be a relational support for them, uh, those are good candidates for that. Uh, yeah. Except if the people have abandoned them in the first place, and that's why they're on the street. It sounds really good, Ben, but come on. Aunt Martha doesn't want Joey and, and Candy back again because they robbed her blind, they ate all of her food, and they did drugs. I mean, I'm being silly, and I. but it's real. It's real. But your point is well taken. They do have a community. What about the rest of us? What about people? The taxpayer in 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 California is being asked to support all of this, and it just gets worse and worse. But I have to say this because a lot of people listening probably don't are probably thinking, "Yeah, we're paying for all this, and it's getting worse because all these immigrants are coming into California." It's not an immigrant problem, is it, Ben? It is basically a problem of our own citizens that are here, maybe multi-generational citizens that are here. The Hispanic immigrant population is not the, the issue. Most, in fact, on the scale of statistics, Hispanics are towards the bottom in terms of needing that kind of help. These people, they come and they want to work. Which brings up my next serious question. What about when people say to you, and homeless advocates say this, well, it just came up actually in our debt problem. Part of the Republican proposition was people have to work to get money from the government. And certain certain segments of the population must work in order to get benefits. So what about the people that say, what about the people that say, these people have to go to work, get a broom. Get a, get a spatula, do something, go to work. And then again, advocates scream, that is inhumane. I don't, I don't think the issue is inhumane. I think, first of all, your listeners would want to know, 25% of the homeless do work uh, in either full or part-time jobs. That's actually a, a vastly uh, uh, misunderstood statistic. Uh, about one in four homeless are workers. Uh, to your point, though, Bruce, uh, in, a, in Southern California today, it's hard to earn a living wage and afford housing. Uh, so the fact that they're working doesn't mean they're not in danger of homelessness or even homeless. So 
we operate the Anaheim Emergency Shelter today, and uh, on any given night, there's upwards of 325 homeless individuals there. Um, uh, a quarter to a third of those uh, have jobs. Do they come to you, or are you bringing them in? Uh, they come to us, yeah. Um, they come through the uh, city's uh, street outreach efforts uh, led by Anaheim Police Department, CityNet, um, partners out on the street. It's a referral-based shelter, so they're not actually allowed to walk up. It's not like a cold-weather shelter. They have to be referred in. So, But they're working. Uh, they're working, to your point. And then uh, Los Angeles did a survey in 2019. They asked... Uh, their homeless population in L.A. County, how many were interested in jobs if they didn't have one. And uh, upwards of 40% that were unemployed said they want a job or were actively looking for a job. So I think employment is an answer. It should be part of the equation. And in our uh, life transformation program that we'll talk about in a little bit, it is part of the equation. But I will tell you, Bruce, uh, there's too much drug addiction on the streets. Let's just, uh, since since you're interested in hot takes tonight and getting real, let's just get right to it. Uh, there's too much fentanyl. There's too much opioid abuse. And if you're, uh, if you're hooked on that, uh, you're not an immediate candidate for work. I don't care who's yelling at you. Good point. And that's where we're going to come back and explore that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm with Ben Hurst from Salvation Army tonight. I'm Bruce Cook. It's the conversation. We're talking serious issues about homelessness. We're going to try and come up with some solutions before the hour is up. When we come right back, we're going to hit that hard topic of drug and alcohol problems, fentanyl in our communities. Don't leave me. We'll be right back. I don't put on no show. It's my first At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hogue Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hogue.org forward slash epilepsy care. And we are back, everybody. I'm Bruce Cook. Conversation live tonight, Angels Radio. We're talking about homelessness. Something that we all have to deal with. We have to face it. We've got to figure out how to fix it. I was talking to Ben Hurst, my guest, during the during the uh, commercial break, and he said something so profound, and that quote is that no city has ever built its way out of homelessness. Well, boy, is not the truth. You can build you can build all of the shelters that you want. You can convert rundown hotels in downtown Los Angeles into into rooms. But you can't fix the problem if you don't really get to the root. Anyway, Ben is representing Salvation Army tonight, and I'm looking at their brochure in front of me for the Center of Hope, quote, transforming lives. And then the statement is made, drug-free, back to work, and serving others. Drug three is where we come back tonight. Before we left a commercial break, Ben said, 
the drugs, the fentanyl, the whole situation on the street is so awful that how can you have somebody working part-time and making any money if they're on drugs? Take it, Ben. Well, I think uh, America is coming to grips with the scope of this uh, crisis. It is extraordinary. Uh, 168,000 people a year are in danger of overdosing on opioid uh, addiction. Uh, just last year in 2022, in the city of Anaheim alone, we saw 58 deaths on the street uh, amongst the homeless population from drug abuse, drug overdose alone. 58. Uh, when I heard that figure, I was startled. Uh, I let that sink in and uh, and reach me at a, at a deep level. 58 people uh, as a nation, as a community, if we knew uh, with regularity, uh, people by the dozens and dozens in our community or uh, countywide by the hundreds uh, are dying on the streets each year. Uh, we would do something. We would roll up our sleeves. We'd get to work. Uh, we are a people, a nation that, that has a can-do attitude, uh, believing that uh, if we aspire and come together for great things, extraordinary things can happen. So that is the flag the Salvation Army is planting in the homeless uh, crisis space is to step in to that very difficult, seemingly intractable space of drug addiction amongst the homeless population and reach for total community reintegration. That's uh, really an extraordinary and important thought uh, for us tonight, Bruce, because we operate uh, shelters. We are the largest private shelter provider in the United States, 40,000 beds across America. Salvation Army has 10,000 homeless shelter beds just in the state of California. We represent about one-tenth of the state's uh, homeless shelter capacity. So we know and believe in uh, the great work that can happen in shelters, but we can't leave people in those shelters. Uh, we do develop homeless housing. We've got a beautiful 72-unit permanent supportive housing uh, homeless project coming online this summer right here in the city of Anaheim. And uh, we know uh, the miracles that can happen when you get uh, the homeless housed. But at the end, our goal and our measured outcome of success at the Center of Hope is complete community reintegration, drug-free, back to work, and having a volunteer commitment to the community. In our case, we ask our graduates of our program to commit to 5 to 10 hours a week of volunteer community service to any organization because we believe if they get their eyes off their own circumstance and upon the needs of others, uh, they will become some of our best citizens, some of our best community members. So uh, that's the spirit really driving us at the Center of Hope tonight, Bruce. What happens, describe the program a little bit more. Somebody is referred into this program. What are the steps and what are the biggest challenges? So uh, right now we operate the Anaheim Adult Rehabilitation Center that has 175 beds of recovery for men and women, a free program. It's uh, funded by the generous donations to our uh, thrift stores. We have 11 thrift stores in Orange County, for example, and uh, the proceeds of those thrift stores all go 100% to provide a free six-month drug rehabilitation program. It's one of the most successful in the United States, 30% uh, uh, sobriety retention rate at one year, which if you know drug recovery, that's an extraordinary stat. It's usually about 8%, so we're about three times higher than the national average. What do you attribute that to? 
Well, I think uh, in our case, the emphasis on Christian mission and uh, an integration of AA-type principles with uh, spiritual life transformation. You know, the Salvation Army is an unapologetic Christian movement, so that's what we attribute it to. We're getting special help from above, if I can say that, uh, uh, with earnestness, and we do. So uh, that's that's what we attribute it to. But I, I will tell you... Uh, this is really an extraordinary story. Uh, we've been operating the Anaheim Emergency Shelter for uh, over four years, and even though the rehab center and the low barrier shelter are 100 yards apart, in that four-year time, we only had four people try and cross over from the low barrier shelter to the recovery center. And we realized a year and a half ago that's a catastrophe. Uh, we ran focus groups. We brought in uh, local universities to survey our, uh, on a volunteer basis, our uh, shelter residents to ask them, why aren't you uh, taking steps forward for uh, freedom from drug addiction and entering our free uh, adult rehabilitation center program? So we got some great feedback from them. And based on those rounds of uh, focus group interviews with the uh, lived homeless population, uh, we got the data we needed to build what we call the brand new life transformation program, which in my neck of the woods, Bruce, <laughs> meaning uh, the scholarly work at USC, et cetera, this is a huge breakthrough. It's huge because uh, there's really no large scale drug recovery program designed specifically for the homeless population that takes into account their unique uh, challenges in communication and entry into a program uh, so uh, uh, upon its opening it will have uh, full medical detox it'll have uh, medically assisted uh, drug therapy and uh, and all the essential elements uh, we were mentioning a moment ago let me ask you this yeah. in your experience do the majority of people that you are helping and treating did they develop a drug addiction prior to becoming homeless or did it happen because they became homeless and desperate? The statistics are very mixed on that. That's a very frequently asked question on the street. Uh, was was the drug addiction the leading cause of homelessness? Or are you self-medicating because you're homeless? Uh, there's really not great information on that, uh, even though uh, some of our best uh, data researchers have tried to get a handle around that. I, I think what, what we all just have to recognize, you're dealing with a very traumatized group 70 percent of the homeless population self-reports uh having a traumatized life experience and bruce that's without counting homelessness which in uh, most uh, books is traumatizing in itself 100 percent. so no kidding so yes well let me okay so let me take that a step further that traumatized life experience from the little bit of research that i have done there is a segment of the homeless population that is also from domestic abuse of all kinds male female but primarily female talk to me about that how does that enter into it and do you deal with that as well yes uh, certainly at the scale of what we do as a homeless uh, low barrier shelter provider we see all kinds of uh, reasons uh, why they've come uh, uh, to our doorstep for care uh, that is a very that is a very serious issue i will say in a positive note uh, there are uh, community resources for families, uh, homelessness. Uh, there should not be really 
any homeless family in Orange County, uh, uh, the county has, through its broad network of uh, collaborators like Salvation Army, uh, resources in place to help families that are homeless. So uh, if someone knows someone that's homeless, they should call uh, 211, the uh, county referral system, and uh, and there should be help. 211, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening. However, I think most people might say I'm seeing more homeless people in the streets of Orange County than I've seen in a while. Why? Well, one of our one of our biggest concerns, uh, frankly, is that uh, Los Angeles County is doing a um, an, uh, an enforcement movement on their homeless, and it's having in some ways a push down effect. Uh, so, what happens is uh, Los Angeles County decides to devote resources to uh, clear up their parks, uh, their overpasses, etc. Uh, they open new shelters, uh, new uh, uh, transitional or permanent supportive housing for the homeless. And then the, the ones that want to respond do, and they go into those homeless uh, offers. But the ones that don't, so you get some of your, your most hardcore homeless. Uh, they don't want to be harassed, so they pack up and uh, in some cases head south. So I, I think that's some of what you see. That That's why getting your hand around the homeless problem is so difficult because uh, you've got porous geographical boundaries. Uh, so, Well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's obvious. It's just yeah. simply obvious. It's time for our second break. The time is going so quickly and so much to talk about. When we come back, I'm going to hit you again with the drug question before we get into other topics, and that is, is America... Is our law enforcement, is our government, is our society serious enough about solving the drug problem, which of course in turn will eventually be a major, major step forward in solving homelessness and other problems? I don't think we're serious enough about it, Ben. I want to know what you think when we come right back. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with me. We have so much to talk about. And also, listen, by the way, Ben is so knowledgeable on this. If you're listening tonight and you've had an experience of homelessness, if you're on the edge of going homeless because you're financially vulnerable, if you have a story to share that will enlighten us on radio, I'm going to do what I normally don't do. I'm going to open the phone lines in our second half hour. Call us, 714-2-830-830. 714-2-830-830. We'll be right back. Angels Radio, AM 830. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a certified comprehensive stroke center, and our brain tumor program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Compassionate care, clinical excellence, creative intelligence. To learn more, call 
516-9075 or visit hogue.org forward slash neuroinstitute. We are both smooth operators tonight on radio, Ben and I, talking about this problem that we all have to deal with and face and try and help people that are really suffering and there but for the grace. Listen, before the commercial, I invited the public to join tonight on radio, and I'm going to invite you one more time. I'm going to ask a specific question. Are you a parent with a homeless encampment near your kid's school? Are you a parent with a homeless encampment near your church or your business? Perhaps you have a store and you've got people parked out in front of it and it's hurting you. What would you think the government, the city, nonprofit organizations, anything could do to help? I want you to call me and I want Ben to talk to you because he's got some wisdom in all of this. 714-2830-830. And we are back. Ben. I asked you to deal one more time with the drug thing because I think America is not serious enough about it. We're not serious enough about dealing with the cartel. We're not serious enough about dealing with the problems of drugs at the border. We're not serious enough in the laws. We're not serious enough in letting people out on with no bail that have drug offenses. America is also hooked on marijuana. People are driving around on marijuana in their cars. And how can the police know who's high driving? It's, it's beyond. It is beyond. What do you say? Well, I think there's fatigue in the United States uh, because of the uh, multi-decade, quote-unquote, war on drugs. And uh, there was a lot of language coming out of Washington in that effect, but little uh, little results to show for it on our streets. So uh, we, we gotta have, we, we've got to have more than rhetoric. Uh, I will tell you that in my uh, uh, extensive uh, networking out in the community. This this is a really critical problem. People are aware. They've got family members. They've got children that uh, are addicted or have been addicted. Uh, some some statistics show us uh, 13% of all employees uh, either are uh, struggling with substance use disorder or are in rehab or have just finished rehab. When you think about that, Bruce, that's a shocking statistic. Uh, over one in ten of uh, of the workforce in America today. So uh, this is just an extraordinary issue. Uh, it, it struck close home to, to our family because we've got an immediate family member who uh, in 1998 was a meth addict who was uh, stealing to support their drug habit, was sleeping rough, was uh, running from the law with arrest warrants in three different states. And when the family reached out to the sheriff's department, they were basically told, listen, our experience is these stories don't end well. There's very little hope in circumstances like these. So you need to brace yourself for a bad outcome here. But I can tell you tonight with a great smile on my face, Bruce, uh, that family member celebrating uh, 26 years of sobriety tonight is uh, has a beautiful family of five children and is the chief financial officer of a hospital in Washington State. So that drives me, Bruce. What was the turnaround? Uh, well, God, <laughs> and I'll say that uh, unabashedly, and an extraordinary support system that uh, came around them and uh, didn't give up on them, uh, didn't take uh, what some might call the black mark of drug addiction and use that as a way to speak defeated language to them, but instead uh, extended uh, hope 
and help and uh, believe that uh, tomorrow can be better and uh, with that kind of positive influence uh, along with the system the system actually in the in our particular case uh, it worked Bruce uh, I like to say uh, people like they want to help they try and help and in some ways uh, there are success stories of victory out there like that well I hate to say it but I'm not sure that I, I'm not so sure that there are plenty of those kind of stories especially as you have told it um, I think that's rare but I also think it's a fine example and uh, I wish there was so much more of so many more of those kind of stories uh, the statistics are not favorable they are just not favorable as you said uh, the police told you at some point that these things don't usually end well and we give up we all tend to give up especially if it's in our own family and it is so harsh and so difficult um, it's sometimes you know they talk about the tough love thing and you've talked about no harsh language well you can imagine what people are screaming at these, their relatives that they can't get through to because they're so frustrated and they don't have the the ability or the the knowledge or the skill to help them yes you're you're right uh i work in a space though where i see extraordinary things happen uh i've i was deeply moved last year by a gentleman I met named Edward who came to me at a Salvation Army event and uh, he was talking to me Bruce and I realized that he had a speech impediment so I was listening close to what he had to say and he said to me he said Ben uh, I was living homeless under a bridge in Anaheim for 10 years uh, before uh, I was brought to the Salvation Army emergency shelter he said, I came to the shelter, I received comprehensive uh, care, um, fresh meals, hot showers, uh, love and compassion, and uh, he got a job uh, working at our food pantry distribution in Anaheim, and last I spoke to him, he was uh, drug-free, working full-time, and had a place of his own. So those stories, they are happening, not to the scope or scale we need them to be, which is uh, the focus of our work is center of hope indeed well what about the fact that uh people will say some people will say cynically I, I i add given the opportunity not to work most people not just homeless now or drug addicted but most people would rather not have to work do you think that's true it's against it's against a lot of what i grew up believing in my entire existence but Maybe it is true. Most people would rather not, if they can eat and have a roof over their head and somebody else is paying for it, maybe they don't want to work. Well, I think America has drifted from a meritocracy, Bruce. <laughs> and this is a very serious issue. Uh, you know, the fabric of our nation used to be uh, hard work was rewarded. Uh, people that took a risk uh, were rewarded if it was appropriate in scope and scale. Uh, you know, that's how uh, our nation was founded and built and uh, great industries established. And you do see that some today. But but the meritocracy spirit of America uh, is drifting uh, from us. And I, I think that has to be restored. It has to enter again the language of our civic leaders. It has to be modeled by our community leaders. Uh, that if you one of the things we say at the Center of Hope is that uh, we will reach out our hand to help you. And if you will take a step towards a life of victory a life of 
freedom and autonomous living, you will be surrounded with resources, help, uh, but you've got to rise up and respond to uh, the Spirit's call within. There is some criticism. I have to bring that up. What do you say to critics of Salvation Army programs that say because it is faith-based, because it is a Christian organization, it is not inclusive for all? That's really not as big a problem for us uh, as people might think, because we know for a fact we offer care without discrimination. We know it with conviction. Uh, We've got all kinds of lifestyles represented at our shelters. As a matter of fact, in uh, Las Vegas, we we run one of the only transgender homeless shelters in the United States. Uh, We've got a famous uh, uh, home for uh, people uh, suffering from uh, AIDS up in Los Angeles. Uh, People on the inside understand that that's outside rhetoric and is uh, not the reality in the space in which we work. Uh, People at the shelter know that. Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Well... You gotta, I gotta throw these bombs at you because that's fire away, what, Bruce. That's why we're here, right? Bruce. I'm in a good mood tonight. Fire away. <laughs> I, I have to make something funny because I want you to laugh. This guy has an infectious laugh that makes you believe everything he says. Stop, Bruce. There you go. There you that go. was probably more enough. Laugh, more laugh. <laughs> that was probably enough. <laughs> okay, um, you're not gonna believe it, but we got to take our third break, Ben. So stay with me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bruce Cook. Conversation tonight. We'll be right back. Radio. AMA 30. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's Neurospine Program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is a leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours, walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash sign help. We are ready to go. I'm Bruce Cook. It's a conversation live on Angels Radio tonight. My special guest, Ben Hurst. Our topic, homelessness. Ben, the Salvation Army facility in Anaheim that you work so diligently to support has many, many homeless apartments. I, I don't have the exact number. I think some of the buildings, there might be a thousand of us, a thousand or whatever it is. My question to you is, is there a restricted amount of time once the the person or or family passes by, not passes by, uh, goes through the process of rehabilitation and they are given um, one of these apartments? Do they have a certain amount of time in which they can live there in order to then transition back into the community and out of there so someone else has the opportunity? I think that's an important question for the uh, listening audience to understand, Bruce. Uh, Most apartments and homeless housing going up today is a technical variety we call permanent supportive housing. They are funded operationally through HUD vouchers, the Housing and Urban Development Department out of the federal government. 
so what happens is uh, when a resident is assigned and accepts uh, a home in one of these uh, often new apartments, it, it is literally their space, and they will stay there an average of 16.4 years. Oh, really? Yes. So the, the, the critical part of this equation is only about 30% of the homeless population will qualify for that type of housing. It is essentially reserved for your most serious chronic homeless cases. In fact, in Orange County, uh, to get in units like these, uh, you have to go through the county coordinated entry system that uh, scores uh, the acute need of the homeless individual based on length of time on the street or uh, severity of uh, health condition, uh, schizophrenia, mental illness, etc., signed off by a doctor. So uh, these are well-established pathways. And and these are important pieces to uh, answering the homeless crisis because there are about 30% of the homeless that are so severely disabled for a variety of reasons. They're not going to qualify for drug-free back-to-work and serving others. And it is a, a beautiful, compassionate uh, uh, response to place them in apartments like these. So the next question is, is this the result of the fact that our mental health system was broken some four decades ago and they're under under the circumstances of this happening back in the 70s or the 80s, these types of people would be sent to a mental hospital where they would be housed. Now they're given an apartment. So they stay in this apartment, as you say, for up to 16 or 18 years based on statistics. What are they doing in that apartment? Who's taking care of them? Who's paying for their ancillary bills? Explain that to the listening audience. Absolutely. Uh, so in the case of permanent supportive housing, they are assigned a case management uh, worker that checks in on them uh, regularly. Usually the case management uh, individual is in the building itself. Uh, so they are, they are liaisoning with these uh, individuals uh, all the time. Uh, but uh, society needs to know uh, they are not authorized to... Uh, go into their home and make them do things. So you do see instances of abuse. Uh, you do see drug uh, use happening uh, in some of these uh, situations. You do see large-scale destruction of the units. Uh, something we saw recently in Los Angeles was the collapse of one of their uh, largest uh, uh, supportive housing providers uh, that had over 2,000 units in the city of Los Angeles. And one of the things they said was uh, they, they couldn't keep up with the repair costs uh, to the damage being done uh, by the population being served there. Now, in their case, those units were very old, uh, early 20th century. So uh, that's uh, one of the things we mitigate uh, when we build new uh, in the city of Anaheim today. So, yes, yes, there's a lot of activity in that space. It's a serious issue. What, do you, what kind of a grade do you give... Uh Mayor Bass in Los Angeles. She was elected based on primarily solving this crisis. She's only been in office a short time, so it's not fair to judge. But are the programs working? You, in our earlier segment, you said that there is some uh, relocation uh, adjustment because enforcement is pushing people out rather than perhaps solving the problem. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd give uh, Mayor Bass a B minus right now, which is fair at the start of her uh, term. Uh, I think what what society has to know, and your listeners would love to know, is uh, the police are limited in quality of life enforcement on what they can really do. 
with these large-scale homeless camps because it can cost upwards of 100000 a year to incarcerate an individual in California, Bruce. Uh, so when you're dealing with a, uh, uh, in the case in 2017, when we had 2,000 people along the uh, riverbank right here by Angel Stadium, uh, you couldn't just do a massive, even if you wanted to, and no one did, a massive roundup and incarcerate them all at $100,000 a year. What happens is the homeless community knows that. Uh, they talk amongst each other. There is some degree of sophistication amongst the, the population, and they know that uh, the threat to jail is modest, and even if it happens, it'd be brief. <laughs> So, so uh, what happens then is you've got to enter this uh, uh, negotiation of what we might call rational choice theory, trying to help them see that, that responding to the resources being offered them is in their best interest. You know, the public that's listening, I can hear people pulling on their hair after what you just said, because it sounds like people that are desperate and in need are also, to some degree, working the system. And for taxpayers who are funding it, as, or at least funding the government who is funding HUD housing, as you said, this is, a, this is a major problem. And frankly, at a certain point, the public is really going to revolt. They're going to say enough is, enough is enough. What do you think? Well, I do, I do think you'll see some of that sentiment. But, but let's just dive all the way in tonight. In the moments we have left, we've got an affordable housing crisis in the state of California. And uh, few people I know aren't aware of someone struggling to stay in their home. And in many cases, it's their own families. So there is there's an alarm about homelessness. Uh, most public policy polls in the state of California still place homelessness as the number one issue on the public's mind. And in fact, in the city of Anaheim, it's uh, frequently polled that way even recently, ahead of some of the more high-profile uh, community issues. Because people are aware, uh, one, we've got a crisis right now, and two, they don't see a path for affordable housing for most anyone in the future. Uh, so they're scared it could be uh, one of their close relatives next. Unfortunately, we've got to end it there. We could go on talking for at least another hour, Ben Hurst. Uh, how do we reach you or how do we find out more about Center of Hope and Salvation Army for anybody interested? Uh, you can jump on our website. It's uh, carryoc.com. That's uh, C-A-R-I-O-C.com and would love to engage with you. Thank you for having me tonight, Bruce. It has been a pleasure, and thank you for all the information. Thank you for taking my hard and, and uh, sometimes crazy questions. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We're honored that you listen. Have a wonderful week. Stay healthy, stay happy, and come back again next Sunday night for the conversation. I'm Bruce Cook. Good night. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. <laughs>